audio sermons from Peachtree Christian Church. The scripture reading will be coming from Mark chapter 8, 31 through 38. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must undergo great suffering and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said all this quite openly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and looking at his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. He called the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If any want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake and for the sake of the gospel will save it. For what will it profit them to gain the whole world and forfeit their life? Indeed, what can they give in return for their life? Those who are ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of them the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. The word of the Lord. It's God. Uh, you may. My friends, it's a delight to be with you in worship. I'm excited today to welcome my friend, Reverend Richard Williams, to the pulpit. Um, in this age of church decline or rising secularity or the end of the voluntary age of association, all of the cultural things that are coming to a head that has made the church a bit afraid of its future, all of it that's coming to a head that's made us ask questions about where spiritual spirituality happens in our world, mixed with a world that seems to be given over to what the Latin was called acadia, the Latin is translated into sloth in the medieval period, but really it means apathy. We live in an age of apathy. In that world, true preachers and prophets come across like rebellious pirates. And so I'm welcoming my friend Richard Williams as one of the true pirate preachers of the world to the pulpit because he speaks truth to power and he speaks uh, hope to a hopeless world. And I'm, I'm very happy that we're going to hear from him today. I've heard it said in, in, in hallways that he's like the Han Solo of preaching and the disciples of Christ. So I welcome him. All of those sillinesses to honor him because, uh, because I absolutely love his spirit. I asked him to come and bring us a good word on this Lenten day. But let me tell you a little bit about who he is before he speaks. Um, he's a native of Brooklyn. And when I asked him about that, he said he was from Brooklyn before Brooklyn was cool. Okay, so he's a native of Brooklyn. But he's been here for about eight years. He went to Candler. He worked uh, with people at Ray of Hope, one of our sister churches. It's a thriving congregation in Decatur. He was a senior minister of First Christian Church in Lawrenceville. And then he worked for our region, helping revitalize churches. And now he works uh, for the uh, Christian Church Extension Fund uh, of the Disciples, where he helps revitalize churches in the Southeast. So we welcome him now with a good peach tree welcome. Would you give him a round of applause? Well, good morning, Matisse. Hope we had fun with that at nine o'clock. Uh, many things in the pulpit. I, a pirate is not one of them, but it's one that I will take uh, gladly from my wonderful friend, 
the Reverend Dr. Jared Longbonds, whom I want to acknowledge as a great friend, a prophetic voice, uh, a, a person whose heart, whose words, both written and verbal, are necessary and needed in Georgia, in our, dis our disciples' denomination, and within the world. So I, I honor my friend for his work and his yes today. Uh, to this wonderful ministerial staff of powerful, dynamic people, thank you for your gifts. Thank you for your talents. You all are amazing. And I think if everything doesn't work out at the Extension Fund, I may be asking for a job. And I want to also acknowledge my wonderful family. My wife, Rose, is right there. And my oldest son, Michael, is there. I'm sure the other ones are probably in Children's Church. They may be joining up too. But let us close off the distractions and close off all the things that pervade us from hearing God's word and let us pray together. Loving God, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, Lord, let everything I say and let everything I do and feel deep within me be acceptable to your sight and your sight alone for you are all of our strength and our redeemer. Bless us in this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So as your wonderful pastor said before I was a Georgia disciple, a proud Georgia disciple, I was a proud New York disciple in the Northeast region of the Christian Church Disciples of Christ. My family and I moved to the metro area, as Pastor Jared said, about eight years ago. I had just finished a master's degree in theology at St. John's University, which was an academic degree, but it was a degree uh, that had a powerful experience of of communing with priests and nuns and other lay leaders who were just interested in the spiritual aspect of knowing who God is. I left that and I was finding myself at Candler School of Theology in seminary. Now I was going to Candler expecting a wonderful, powerful spiritual experience. It was seminary, right? I was looking for my prayer partners and my future leaders in ministry, people who could really pick me up and elevate me and take my ministry and my life to a new place. It was the second week of seminary when I got to Old Testament class and one of my classmates said, hey, Richard, we missed you at the party, at the welcome back party. And I said, oh, well, I'm sorry. Forgive me. I've got three small children. Uh, my wife is at home and we don't really know anybody. And to be honest, I'm a little frightened of, of the South. I'm, I've just lived 33 years in New York and the South is kind of scary. I'm like, well, what did I miss? And she said, well, I can't really remember what happened after we played beer pong. <laughs> beer pong, I said. And she's like, yeah, and, you know, some of our classmates really, you know, were fond of each other and kind of went off to the side and, and did their own thing. And I was like, oh, okay. Not what I was expecting. Here I was expecting this wonderful, powerful, glorious, uh, deeply spiritual seminary experience. And what I got was Animal House. I said to myself, is this what seminary is? I went through all of this, these kind of conversations with myself and conversations with God and conversations with my family. And to be honest, I was on the verge of quitting once I heard what it was really like. But one thought kept recycling in my brain and in my heart. And that thought was simply, this is not what I signed up for. 
In our text for today, we find the kindred spirit in Peter. After being blessed with the revelation that Jesus Christ was the promised Messiah, Peter finds out that journeying with the Messiah is not a path of ease, but a path of struggle. After confessing his faith and dedicating his life to Christ, Peter finds himself confronted with just how difficult the journey is. And as a result of that, his world turned upside down. In the passage, Jesus begins to teach the disciples that the Messiah is destined not to conquer, but to suffer. And indeed, he would do just that. Jesus would suffer emotionally as a result of the rejection of his own community. He would suffer mentally through the constant tests and battles with the Pharisees and being forced to be alert day after day. He would suffer spiritually in battles with the tempter and battles within himself in Gethsemane. And most importantly, he would suffer physically through one of the most cruelest forms of execution, the crucifixion. But the message of suffering was exactly the opposite message that Peter thought the Messiah would bring. Peter was so shocked at hearing that journeying Jesus meant suffer and struggle, so much so that in verse 32 it says he began to rebuke Jesus, admonish him instead of encourage him. Clearly, Peter had a visceral reaction, kind of like the reaction I heard when seminary was about beer pong. But here's why Peter had such a visceral reaction. If you go up to the pericope right before this one, in verses 27 through 30, we learn that Peter has just confessed Jesus as the Messiah, which for Peter was an earth-shattering and monumental revelation. It was like the moon landing and the Beatles landing at JFK and Obama's election all wrapped up into one emotion. The ancient Jewish community had been waiting centuries for this promised savior, a savior that would usher in a reign even greater than David's reign. Most of us have heard the reign and what the reign was of the anointed one is like in Isaiah chapter 9. We read in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on until forever. The Messiah to Peter was supposed to be a conqueror, but not a pushover. Now, I would suspect that for as long as he could remember, Peter was intrigued about this deliverer, as all Israelites were. He probably heard the stories of the Messiah at bedtime from his parents. He was probably taught about the Messiah much in the synagogue. Perhaps he even pretended to be like him, like I pretended to be Superman or Batman when I was a younger kid. This person was a larger-than-life cult figure. The Messiah was the greatest figure to be presented to the Israelites which is why Peter was having such a hard time wrapping his head around the coming events that Jesus had foretold. Peter rebukes Jesus because he simply can't believe that the great Messiah, the promised deliverer, the anointed one, could be someone so weak, so meek, so lowly as to be defeated, let alone killed. You can just close your eyes and hear Peter's reaction. He would probably exclaim something like this, Die! You can't die! You have to take your place as king! You're supposed to bring peace and prosperity. Rome is supposed to go away. We're supposed to reign for a thousand years. Die, what are you talking about? We're supposed to win. We're not supposed to lose. Remember, this is the same Peter that would draw his sword when the authorities came to arrest Jesus. Peter was a fighter. He was willing to stand up and stand out and stand against anything. But the message that he's receiving, the message of the cross, is not to conquer, but to suffer. Perhaps Peter thought 
what I thought at seminary. This is not what I signed up for. And perhaps like Peter and perhaps like me, you have found yourself in one of these moments where you felt like you were in the midst of something you did not sign up for. Like when you were a teenager and you thought that you couldn't wait to be an adult and then you became an adult and you realized that food, clothing and shelter weren't free. Or when you thought happily ever after actually meant that you would be happy every moment with your partner. Sorry, dear. For many of us, there have been times we have suffered mightily and unexpectedly. Our hearts have been heavy, our minds weary, and we felt like we could not go on. We have suffered sudden illness and loss, bouts of anxiety and depression that seem to come out of nowhere. We've had these dark nights of the soul where we've prayed and we've prayed and we've prayed for these cups to pass us. But when we were made to dwell in the midst of our suffering, we looked up to the heavens and said, why me? Where are you, God? Which means that perhaps there's a part of us that believed that journeying with the Messiah would be a journey of ease as well. But the moments along our life's journeys where the fantasy of ease is destroyed by the reality of hardship are the moments that will either make us or break us. But if we hold fast to the promises of God, then the present suffering in our lives will be nothing compared to the future glory that will be revealed on the other side of the suffering. Now, in our society today, we are told daily to seek comfort. If you don't like your job, get a new one. If you don't like your car, get a new one. If you don't like your family, get a new one. This self-absorbed, self-centered YOLO culture. YOLO, any Drake fans? No? Some? Couple? YOLO, you only live once, D. That's slang for you. This YOLO culture tells us that we only have one life to live, so why waste a second struggling when all you need to do is satisfy yourself? Why fast during Lent? God knows your heart already. But Jesus tells us that seeking comfort is not the way of the cross. The way of the cross is countercultural to the dominant narrative we see and we hear outside, which means that everyone is going left. We need to be going right. And going right is hard sometimes. I know. Some of our families are going left. Our friends are going left. Left seems trendy. All of the celebrities are going left. It seems like left is the place to be. But left isn't the way to the promises of God. And left is not where the relief of our struggles is going to come from. Left is the direction of the adversary, Hasatan, which is what Jesus called Peter. Jesus is telling us to go right because right is where he is. And freedom and peace and joy and strength to endure the challenges that life brings us come from carrying our cross and walking right alongside him. Some days in the Christian walk, especially during Lent, you may feel like, maybe this is not what I signed up for. I thought that when I got to Christ, everything would be wonderful. I thought that I wouldn't have any bad days. And I thought all I needed to do was send a prayer up and everything that I needed or wanted or did not need or did not want would come to pass. But I want to leave you with a little secret. None of us signed up for these journeys. God saw us. God chose us. And God has strengthened us for the journeys that we will face. Just as Jesus saw Peter and Andrew at the Sea of Galilee fishing and told him that he would make them fishers of men. Just like Jesus saw me at 16 years old on a balcony when I thought my life was over and I didn't know where to turn. 
And just like Jesus saw you wherever you were and pulled you out of that situation and put your feet on a rock and said, this is what I have for you. I know the plans that I have for you. We were never promised ease on those journeys, but we were promised presence. Jesus promised to never leave us and never forsake us. So in the midst of illness, Jesus is with us. He never promised that every day with your partner would be wonderful, but he promised to be in the midst of the marriage. Jesus promised us that we would live abundantly if we would seek his face. So my prayer for you today is simply that you don't lean to your own understanding anymore in times of suffering, but that you stand firm and you stand strong in your faith, that you find the will to endure, that we trust and believe in the one who promised to never leave us. Jesus says later in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 33, in this life you will have trouble. So Jesus promises that trouble will come. But at the end of that verse, he says, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So if you're trying to endure the challenges of parenthood or grandparenthood or marriage, employment, entrepreneurship, retirement, education, illness, any other challenge, Jesus is telling us today to take heart. Jesus overcame emotional suffering, and so can we. Jesus overcame mental suffering, and so can we. Jesus overcame spiritual suffering, and so can we. And Jesus overcame physical suffering, the suffering that we're on the walk to where he died, but he rose three days later with all power in his hands. He overcame the grave. He overcame that physical struggle, and so can we. We can overcome the struggles in our lives if we only believe. So my prayer is that you believe. I don't know what you're giving up. I don't know if you've given up anything. But in these 40 days, I pray that you find the strength to go on that you find the strength to allow God to reveal his glory to you and to reveal his purpose to you as individuals. But I want to leave you with one thought. You know, the thing about black preachers is say, we say, we'll leave you one thought, but then we have three thoughts behind it. I promise you, I've only got one thought. Resilience is for the individual, but resilience is also for the collective. This church has a dynamic and powerful history in Georgia and beyond. So my question to you is, what is the next great movement of this body? Where is God calling Peachtree Christian Church to? There may be times in that call where we're like Peter, where we're unsure if this is the place we're going or where Maybe this is not the place that God signed us up for. But if we take the lesson of Peter, that we move past our own human concerns and we take Christ by the hand and we go right to follow him wherever that path may lead, we will find ourselves in the midst of a movement that changed the world. Peachtree Christian Church has the resources, the talent, the gifts to change the world. Where is God moving you all to? My prayer is that 
each and every one of you search your hearts for the answer to that question, where I fit in in that movement. And that you be prepared to move past the discomfort, the suffering, the, mm, this is not what I signed up for, and follow Christ all the way to Calvary. I know great things are in store here. We need you. My prayer is simply that you search your heart, that you move past the idea of suffering, because on the other side of suffering is glory. God bless you. Thank <laughs> you.